was it last week? I was amazed how much time we, it just seemed like this week was the opposite. Like it seems like the time is just flying by. Okay, you got it? All right. Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9. Let them make me a, a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. And so let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for, for this time that we can have in your word. Uh, Lord, we just simply ask you for mercy and grace and that your word would um, teach us, Lord. We don't want to be, Lord, remove us of any presumptions, anything that we are confident of ourselves. Let our, all of our confidence be in the word of God. Lord, remove any deceptions, things that, that are able to hide in our hearts and our mind the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ and com coming up with our own ideas. I pray that all of our, our ideas, all, of, all that we know would come from your word. And that, Lord, you would cleanse us of thoughts that have nothing to do with you. Cleanse us of, Lord, I, Lord, just ideas and assumptions that we make that are not grounded in the scriptures. That's what we're asking. We are, we are aware that we bring the, oftentimes the baggage of our own assumptions and presuppositions, but I thank you for the Holy Spirit that is able to transcend, Lord, um, that baggage and land in our hearts with truth. Thank you so much, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit that doesn't leave it up to us to figure things out, but that you are at work, Lord, both in us and, um, and, and through us, Lord, to do your purposes in our lives. And so we pray the word of God to land with truth today and to change our thinking, Lord, and to change something about the way we believe of, of the world, Lord, that there will be a, a biblical worldview that is shaped more and more in our lives. And so thank you for this precious time that, that it pleases you by the preaching of the word of God, Lord, that, that our lives will be changed, that we would be Lord, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is an integral instrument Lord, by which you do your work in our hearts and in our lives. We didn't make this up, but you commanded the proclamation of your word over your people. And so thank you. Do this in my heart. Do this in all of us, we pray. Amen. So we're we, we now looking at the design of the church, but laying foundations, and um, laying foundations about the design. And so we, asked, we began to ask the question, what do we mean by design? And we said that the design refers to the internal arrangement of the parts. Internal arrangement of the parts that reveals something about how something works, functions. And the design is going to answer two, two fundamental questions. Uh, so that when you think about what are we, when we say the design of the church, um, um, we're going to hopefully answer these two questions. What does it do? What does the church design? What does the design reveal? as far as what the church should do. And secondly, the design of the church will help us to understand how does it do it? How does the church do things? How, so, so, that, so, that when we're, so that when God is working through us, right, um, we can understand how it's all meant to happen. So there'll be wisdom in the work of God here at the local church. And so that's what we are 
trying to, and we, we, we g- I gave you a little picture of a design of a car last week, and um, just to kind of give you, um, you know, the, this is the arrangement of the parts, right? These are the, these parts here, and then you have a car, and I gave you an exercise, you know, to think about the church, and what, what are the, the individual parts, what, 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 what may that look like, right? And so, in the same way, God has so designed the church to function in a particular way, and, and you know, the thing is the church is, um, should be after, like, you know, you know, at the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, I mean, for example, you know, at the end of the day, as much as we love politics, as, lo- as much as we want the, the, the country, the nation to, to, to live righteously, uh, as much as we want laws to reflect um, the kingdom of God, right, amen, nothing wrong with that, um, to want the country to, to reflect the values of the word of God, but at the end of the day, that's not our calling, Right. Amen. Our calling is to proclaim the gospel and build the kingdom of God. Right. So it's not, we're not called to be in, in politics. Now, now, it's important that we have Christian men that God raises in politics. Praise God. For that. We, we righteousness matters wherever, wherever you're at, whether it be at work, whether it be. But at the same time, as much as we fight for the right laws, we have to fight in a way knowing that the, the church is not designed to establish a political power, right? We, you know, right? So we could, we could lose, if we lose the design of the church, then we can get involved into things that the God never called us to be involved in. Does that make sense? So, so you know, and, and of course, there's a lot, again, this is, I'm a big believer, let, let's pray for our leaders, let's, g- let's get involved as much as the Lord leads us, but at the same time, um, this world's going down. This is like Titanic. It's going down, and, and um, everything will perish. Everything uh, is going to pass away. Everything is destined. Uh, everything has an expiration date. It's going down. The ship is going down. The only thing that will remain standing is the kingdom of God. Amen? And that kingdom has nothing to do with the kingdoms of this world, right? It's a totally different kingdom. And so we have to always keep that perspective, you know? But, and the design of the church helps us to kind of keep that. What are we here for? What are we supposed to be doing? And how are we supposed to be doing this? But then I asked the question, uh, a good question, how in the world do you begin to even understand what the design of the church is? And, um, and last week we made a, a, a point, a very important point, uh, in, in terms of understanding anything, and that is that the starting point of all true knowledge and understanding is the fear of the Lord. Um, so that um, we're going to need, uh, we're going to need to fear the Lord. And, and this is true with any sermon series, whether we're, whether, whether we're preaching on the church, whether we're preaching on um, the, the gifts of the spirit, what we, what, you know, we need the fear of the Lord to understand ev- anything. We don't want to just accumulate knowledge. We don't want to just accumulate bib- Bible information. We want to understand so that that knowledge can change us. <coughs> Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? <coughs> Set you free. So that there's a freedom that comes in true knowledge. And, you know, and, and, and you, you can listen to podcasts and, you know, all day long and not be changed. That's the reality. But we want to really understand what the design of the church, and the Lord put it in my heart that if we're going to understand anything about the church, we need the fear of the Lord. And so um, Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You take that to heart. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how, how what your SAT scores are. doesn't matter. If there's no fear of the Lord, you know nothing. Period, right? 
If there's no fear of the Lord, you don't know anything. Uh, to me, that's very clear in my mind. It, it, that's why, you know, these scores don't really mean anything in one sense, right? Not spiritually. They, they do mean for, the, for your future and getting a job. Absolutely. So I don't, I don't you hear me be lazy, <laughs> study and do well. But, but we need to fear the Lord. Um, and so in order to acquire that real knowledge concerning the design of the church, we need to get into, we need to understand the fear of the Lord. So, so we're going to raise, so it raises two questions, which we're going to hopefully tackle as by way of foundation um, so that you can have a foundation for the, the, how the fear of the Lord um, is so critical in your life. The fear of the Lord, n not just the love of God, right? We're okay. We're comfortable with the love of God. There's just something so warm and fuzzy, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, but the fear of the Lord, that's like the porcupine. You know, we don't, we're not very comfortable. And so I'm hoping that you, that would change because the fear of the Lord is awesome. Um, it is probably the, the source of greatest joy in my life. And you might say, really? The fear of the Lord? Yep, by far. The fear of the Lord is the source of tremendous joy. You know, so we'll, 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 we'll try to understand why is that so important. So we're going to ask two questions. What is the fear of the Lord? And I can't wait to do the second one. Why is the fear of the Lord so uh, the beginning of knowledge? Why? Why is it? Why it makes sense that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? It actually makes, it makes perfect sense. And, um, and so we're going to tackle that. But we began by saying the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? So the first question, fear of the Lord. And again, we're not, this is still the same series, but I think it's important that we lay some foundation. So hopefully, and hopefully you can meditate on some of these things and ask yourself, how is the fear of the Lord in your life? Is the fear, are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Are you cultivating the fear of the Lord? Are you delighting in the fear of the Lord? And those are questions that we have to ask. So the first thing that we said, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord, right? The first thing that I, it's important to lay is that the fear of the Lord presupposes, it assumes you have had an encounter, a real experience with the awesome presence of God. It, it just assumes that. You, you don't fear something unless, in the true sense, unless you've experienced. Right, and uh, and then we looked at Exodus. Let's let's read some. I, I want to give you a little bit of background. Exodus 19, and we'll read some scripture, verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, I am coming to you." So He's telling, He's telling, Lord's coming. I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people of the Lord, um, now you might say, "Believe you forever." I mean, what does this happen? <laughs> Moses died. So some of you might say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, these scriptures have their climax in Jesus Christ, right? So they, 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 God is speaking, but he's speaking eternally. He's not just speaking in that context. He's speaking in that context, but with an eternal perspective. And Christ is coming. So Moses is a type of Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and also believe you forever. This is faith in Jesus Christ forever, not Moses. When Moses told the words of the people to, to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down. So you see what's happening? It's a, it's a unique experience. The Lord is going to come down. Now, these are all true. This, this should be happening, right? Um, the Lord does this among his people. He, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai on the side of all the people. 
Exodus 19, verses 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, remember, Exodus 19 is just after they just crossed. They've gone to the other side. Egypt has been destroyed, and God, they walked through on dry land. Um, God uh, separated the Red Sea. So this is what's happening immediately afterwards, right? And so God now wants to... God has a formal introduction. Until this point, the people had not met the Lord. So when they come to the other side, God says, get the people ready. I'm going to introduce myself. So it's a pretty, the people have no clue, uh, right? Like most people don't have a clue. <laughs> but God, God is giving Moses instructions. I'm going to introduce myself. And he says in verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to do what? To meet God, right? Remember, they're out of Egypt. This is not a matter of being delivered out of Egypt. That's done and settled. But just because you've come out of Egypt does not mean you've met God. Does that make sense? The, 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 you got to come out of Egypt, say goodbye to the world, goodbye, right? There's that step of faith, and now you're going to meet God. And that should happen to all of us. I, did, I, remember, the, I remember my moment when I met God. <laughs> it's like... Right? I mean, I came out, I was, I was praying, and left the world behind me, and, and then there was a, a specific season when I met God. Right? Where, where, where the Spirit of God came down. So, you, you, right? so this, is, this should be normal Christian life. Now, Mount Sinai, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And then verse, um, in verse 18, right, it says 20, you see what the, um, what the response of the people in Exodus 20, 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. In other words, they're having an encounter with God. That this is not just a Bible study. This is like they're meeting with God. And they're seeing. You know, and I've always said that in the, in the Bible, see, you know, uh, Eve saw that the fruit was good. It's this idea of it, of the desire, fullness of it, of experience. The people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of trumpet, and the most mountain smoking. Right? You, you see this um, experience. The people saw it. What, why was God doing all this? Why? What's the point of all this? Well, Exodus twenty twenty, Exodus twenty twenty gives us an explanation what God is doing. Right? And Mo Exodus twenty twenty, Moses said to the people, "Do not fear." Um, Exodus 20, 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. So what God is doing is that God is strategically uh, helping the people, teaching the people how to fear him. Right? And that's the, that, was the first, that was the first Sunday school class. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy? That, that was the first Sunday school class after they came out of Egypt. The first thing is, uh, you, you, you got to fear me. Remember the, the Bible says the, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? 
Well, at the beginning of the journey of, of the children of Israel, in the beginning, guess what's the first thing, of, the first order of business of God? I've come to put my fear in you. Speak, why is that? Well, it makes perfect sense. Because if I instruct you on the laws and the, and, the, and the sheep and the sacrifices, if the fear of the Lord is not in you, then you will not what? You, you will not understand. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom and knowledge. So the first order of business is, okay, I got a lot to teach them. I got to talk to them about the sacrifice. I have to talk to them about the temple. I have to talk about the tabernacle. I have to talk to them about eating certain kinds of animals. But the first thing, in order for them to understand what I'm about to tell them, the first thing of orders, I need the fear. They need the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? Wisdom and knowledge. All right, let's go to Proverbs 1-7 again. Proverbs 1-7. Let's just read that. The fear of the Lord. Right, is the beginning of knowledge. Go back up, Lord. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Does that make sense? How beautiful the Bible, the Bible, you know, is, is setting. So the first thing when we want to we want to grow in the knowledge of God is this encounter with God. There has to be an encounter with God. Otherwise, we don't know God. Otherwise, we don't really. It's just going to be um, ideas that we read from the Bible, but. Um, but they need now what's interesting is right what's interesting is they saw all these tremendous miracles they saw flies they saw the blood red they saw the firstborn um, die the firstborn of Egypt they they saw like so much catastrophic they saw the hand of and power of God and yet that was not enough isn't that crazy that was not enough to teach them the fear of the Lord. God says, nope, that's not enough. I need to come down and give them something. That's amazing, right? All these things that can happen, and, and we could be kind of oblivious. And they were like, but on this occasion, God now has orchestrated this meeting where they can meet God, and, and God's going to do something, right? So no one is born with the fear of the Lord. None of us, are, we come out of here um, rebels. We come out of the womb uh, hating God. We come out of the womb, you know, we're just not afraid of God. We're just not. How many, how many people say, ah, I can't wait to go to hell to smoke with my buddies? Right? <laughs> I'm going to hang out with my buddies. How foolish, right? You're hanging out with nobody. Man, how, how, you know, they, they think so little of God. Yeah? But. But none of us are born, right? Uh, Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we want to establish a baseline. All right. Today we're going to continue to lay a second. A second. So the first thing about the fear of the Lord, the first thing is, got to have an encounter with God. Uh, you, you know, no encounter with God, no words, no words are going to really change that. You got to have an encounter with God. If you haven't had the encounter, say, God, you know, teach me the fear of the Lord. And then ready for an, be ready for an encounter. Be ready for God to begin to, right? Be ready for the Lord to do something. So the fear of the Lord, number one, right? So well, what is the fear of the Lord? First of all, the fear of the Lord presupposes a real experience with the presence of God. And then secondly, the fear of the Lord involves a certain emotional response to the presence of God. Right? A certain emotional response. Exodus 20, verses 8 uh, and 20 and 18, when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes, the sound of the trumpets, and the mountain smoking, the people 
were afraid. The people were afraid. It's not, it's not, it's not complicated. <laughs> they were afraid. Moses tells the readers that the people was afraid. They were afraid. Uh, what does it mean to be afraid? Um, that's, a, that's an emotional response. <laughs> right? It, it's, an emotion, it, it's an emotional response. Um, it, it, it is a feeling that registers in the emotional matrix. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, at that moment, if you would have asked the people, um, um, do you feel anything? They'd be like, yes, yes. What do you feel? Afraid. They felt afraid. The people could not help but respond emotionally to the presence of God. They were not indifferent. They were not like, praise the Lord, amen. Um, God delivered us out of Egypt. Praise the Lord. Look at that fire burning. You know, they were not like that. We are the chosen one of God, amen, praise the Lord. No, they, <laughs> like, right, right, it's okay. <laughs> like, like, man, we, we, we just got to, like, put God in his place, right? Like, like, he's God. He is God. You're not going to walk in when he comes and you're like, <laughs> no. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. They were afraid. There was nervousness. It's okay. But they were, it was spectacular. They were swarmed. God is doing this intentionally. God knows what He's doing. Not, he's not like frightening them. No, he's not terrorizing them. But there's, but he knows what he's doing. You see, to be afraid is also a response. Let's let's be honest. What what, what when the people are afraid? You're when you you're afraid to the unknown. Right? When when, when things are known, right? You know, you might feel the consequences of that which is which is known, right? <laughs> But at the end of the day, there's this unknown aspect. You don't know the outcome. You don't know what, and, and fear hits you. Guess what? They're coming face to face with the unknown of God. Do you know God? Do you know him? We know that much of God. And that's probably saying, that's probably exaggerating. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's a magnificent, eternal, infinite. You haven't even scratched the surface of who he is. And every once in a while, he just, you come to grips with that great, majestic unknown. The people were in touch with the otherness of God. Right? There's this otherness. There's this I know him as well as a father. He's done all this for me. Look at Isaiah 46, 9. For remember the former things of old, for I am God. There's none other. I am God. There's none like me. 
<laughs> this is so awesome, yo. There's none like him. You think you got him, you got him cornered? He is m- terribly magnificent. And the people, just for that little moment, is, and do you think that God is doing some, you think God is sweating trying to really create this drama? He's just, he's just breathing. <laughs> and, the, and the people are like, <laughs> make it stop, make it stop. That's the God that we serve. Amen? This is a mighty God, a glorious God, fearful in praises. And the people needed to know who this God is. And God is just giving them a little, a little, a little, you know, this is, he's babbling. Praise God that we serve a great and mighty God. Remember, what, remember don't forget what God is doing, Exodus 20, 20. Moses said, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This, the experience is meant to heal us of every other fear. <laughs> right? <laughs> do you get that? When he says, do not fear, that's, that's, a po- that's, 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 a, that's an intended effect. They are being taught to not fear anything else. But, you know, I was thinking about what's the illustration. You got, you got this, um, these pit bulls running around in your neighborhood, and you're like, pit bulls coming. And you run quickly back into your house. <laughs> you're like, you're afraid of this pit bull. You know? <laughs> your whole life is like, I want to stay away from the pit bulls. And then suddenly Godzilla comes and swallows the pit bull. <laughs> From that point on, are you, are you concerned about the pit bull? <laughs> you see the pit bull rubbing, you'd be like, forget about him. <laughs> it's like, it's like wh- wh- where's Godzilla? <laughs> right? That's what's happening. He's destroying all of our fears in light of who he is. So that you may not fear nothing but him. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's just a beautiful thing how, how fears grip us. Fear torments us. Fear this. And God says, you're fearing the wrong thing. Do not fear that. But I'll tell you whom you should fear. Amen? So I don't care who we are. When you come into contact with the presence and the holiness of God, you too will be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Don't, don't get so comfortable with God that you're never afraid. Are you kidding me? I, I've heard preachers explain the fear of the Lord as, oh, it's really, it's love. I'm like, yeah, there's an aspect of love. But, but it's okay to say that he's a great God. He's, he's big. You know, and um. And, and, they, and then they quote 1 John 4, 18 and say, well, there's no fear in love. You know, perfect love casts out fear, right? Now, if you say, well, the perfect love casts out the fear of the Lord, then you got massive contradiction in the Bible, right? There's a contradiction because the Bible says, fear the Lord, 
But perfect love casts out that kind of fear. Gets rid of it. Of course not, right? We got to make, we got to nuance it. We got we to be able to, say, no, 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 no. He, perfect love casts out all kinds of fear except the fear of the Lord, right? Because the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Amen? So, it's, so, so, so we just, don't be, no, it's okay. It's okay to say, Lord, um, my heart needs you. I, my tr- I tremble. So we must be careful not to bankrupt the fear of the Lord of any sense of being afraid of the greatness and holiness of God. So I believe when the Bible says fear, it means fear. I'm okay with that. Totally okay with that. And you guys, ask, are you okay with that? Because I find that a lot of people are, I'm not okay with that. And I said, no, I'm okay with that. He's, he's a great God. Amen? He's a great God. The fear of the Lord includes a sense of dread of the awesome presence of God. The fear of the Lord includes a sense of dread of the awesome presence of God. Amen? If you look at all the men in the Bible, that, they seem to walk with a dread. They were not flippant. They were not like casual. They walk with a sense of awesome reverence of the holiness of God. And we got to recover that. And that's the beginning of knowledge. Without that, there's no knowledge, no understanding of anything. Look at Isaiah 8.13. Isaiah 8.13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. <laughs> Like the prophets, they don't play games. They, they know, who, right, who God is. Notice that the prophet exhorts the people, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. The accent. You, you can, when you read the scripture, the Bible doesn't tell you which accent to put. I, I, I firmly believe that it, there's an accent in every, in every word. Because that's just God's, God's word is infinite. But here's an accent. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Why does he put it that way? Why does Isaiah put it that way? Now, what does the word dread? You know what the word dread means? To be terrorized. <laughs> we, can, we can clean it up and say, well, you know. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm just going to go with the word. I'm okay with what the Bible. If the Bible says terror, let him be your terror. I'm saying, <laughs> he's God, Right? We just got to humble ourselves and say, Lord, teach me, because I know one thing, that whatever that is, it's good for me. Amen? We don't have to be like, oh, it's good for me. That's it. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Don't don't let your flesh dictate. Let the word of God dictate. Don't make provisions for the flesh. The flesh wants doesn't like this. How dare he? I'm not going to fear nobody. (laughs) Humble yourself. God, I've been praying that, Lord, I want you to be my dread. Amen? What's wrong with praying like that? I want to learn to let him be my fear. But, you know, the word that just means, it's a a word that is really intoxicated in the Hebrew with tremendous emotion. It means to be in terror, to terrify. Now, in the context of Isaiah 8, in the context, why does the Lord, why does Isaiah says, um, let him be your dread? Well, if you know anything about the context, is that the prophet's rebuking the people of Israel. Because 
they were dreading the coming Assyrian. Right? Um, look at Isaiah, Isaiah 8, 7. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. If you know anything of history, the king of Assyria is going to ravish um, the northern kingdom of Israel. Destroy them at the word of the Lord. The Lord is raising the king of Assyria. And I don't know about you, but if, some, if you know there's an army coming and they're ruthless and they speak another language and they're like, you know, I'm going to be a little nervous, right? I'm going to be a little nervous of a foreign army invading, ripping us out of our homes, taking us from our lands, right? I mean, that's, that's, the wor- that's worthy to be panicky, right? Is that, is that, are you going to rebuke somebody for being afraid? No, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd be afraid too. You know, but the Lord said, no, uh-uh. Do not fear the king of Assyria. Let the Lord, let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Do you see the context? Right? The, you know, he's not talking about the warm and fuzzy. Because I, I, can, I can relate with a, an army coming, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is scary. Ima- imagine being in, these, in, in Ukraine. Imagine being in Ukraine, and, and, and you don't know when a missile is going gonna, gonna to blow up your town. I don't think you're walking around, you know, taking pictures with, you know, it, 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 you know it, it, just going to the beach. You know? <laughs> You're like, you're gathering your family. There's a a sense of anticipation of something awful. And the Lord is in that context. The Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. Do not fear the king of Assyria. Do not let him be your dread. Let's go to Isaiah. Back back to Isaiah 8.13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Amen? The Lord is saying, come, my people. Don't be terrorized by the Assyrians. Instead, feel terrorized by me. Isn't that crazy? Right? What does he mean? He said, well, trust me. Make every effort to put your hope and trust in me. Because if not, it will be awful for you. Right? It's just... (laughs) It's not, it's, not, it's not complicated. Don't fear anything else. Fear me. You know, admittedly, there's more that can be said about the fear of the Lord. It does include respect and reverence. But I'm going to say that this sense of dread is what fuels reverence. It's the sense of dread of the awesome presence of God makes you walk reverently. It's knowing who God is. Look at Psalm 119, 119, verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you. This is the psalmist. This is Psalm 119. This is Jesus speaking. This is a prophecy. This, right? All of scriptures about Jesus. My flesh trembles for fear of you. And I am afraid of you. Now, if Jesus trembles and he's afraid, what do you think about us? <laughs> it's okay. This is a good thing. Don't look at it as something negative. We, we always look at fear and things like that. No, 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 no. In God, this, this is a wonderful thing. 
Luke 12, 5, Luke 12, 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Amen? You know, one of the secrets of the New Testament church was walking in the fear of the Lord. Do you know that? Look at Acts 9.31, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And what were they walking? And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and what happened? They multiplied. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. So the question you should be asking is like, wait a minute, time out. <laughs> if they're walking in the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord presupposes that they had an encounter with God, right? We just said that. We established that last week, that the fear of the Lord is not something that just pops up and like, oh, wake up in the morning. It, it's a result of an encounter with God. So the question you have to ask is, what was the encounter that the, that the, the church in the New Testament had? Was it the day of Pentecost? Was that the encounter that they had where they were like, whoa, this is awesome. Now we're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. It wasn't. Go to Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. So simple transaction. Uh, the church is giving, uh, is really be really being generous and people are selling their property and giving it to, to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira, they they sold some of the proceeds, and, and they brought only a part of it. So they sold it for $100, and they brought $75, right? They brought $75 to the apostles, and they said, here's, here's the, the, the proceeds of the sale of our house. Here's $75. But how much they sold it for? 100 No big deal, right? What's the big deal, right? Um, and, but Peter said, Verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Man, that, that got to be such, such an awesome moment. <laughs> Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Oof. I can only imagine a night. He had a hammer, hammer, hammer moment. Right? That's scary. I, mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you. Yeah, I love that fact. I'm like emotionally intoxicated. I can feel this moment. <laughs> I, I feel nervous when I read this story. I can feel it. I don't know if it's because maybe I got into trouble when I was a kid. <laughs> I've been alive. It's like, my Lord! <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Bobby. Um, I can feel the nervousness of this moment. While it remained and sold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And guess what happened? What happened? Great what? There we go. This is the first time that the word fear is used in the book of Acts. 
great fear came upon all who heard it. You might look at the, the story of Ananias as an accident or as a, you know, just showing, no, 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 God has had a purpose. God had a purpose. It was basically, I, I, need, I need them to walk in the fear of the Lord. You know, God knows his timing, right? Look at, look at verse 11, Acts 5, 11, and great fear came upon what? The whole church. And upon all who heard of these things. The, the, the Ananias and Sapphira, that experience was marked the church. It marked the church. And from that point on, great fear came upon the whole church. Now, now, now let's go back to Acts 9.31 and let's read that again. Um, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee so had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord. Right? Now you can see that, that this, this tragedy, right, of Ananias and Sapphira, God worked it for great good for his people. He worked it in such a way that now the people had a sense of the awesome presence of God. Do you think somebody else was going to be, I, I sold it for th 300, I'll bring 250. You think they're going to do that now? No, I'm never going <laughs> to, are you sure there ain't nothing left? <laughs> right? There's a, there's a certain exactness. Amen. If we were to be that careful, right? But we don't become that careful until we've encountered something of the presence of God. You know, I think that one of the reasons why the church is in the way it is is because of lack of the fear of the Lord. I mean, I mean, pastors being caught in adultery like never before. The rates of divorce and remarriage in the church are identical with the world, right? According to a Barner research, this is, this is I read this yesterday, 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors regularly view pornography. Something is wrong. If I was to watch porn, Go to porn, I'm going to be trampled. I'm serious. I'm going to be trembling. And that's not, it's not just porn. It's any little thing that, that dishonors God. That We have to have a sense of, well, I ain't going there. Mm -mm. Devil, not. I know Godzilla. <laughs> that's why I mean, eat up the pit bull. <laughs> I don't want to be eaten. Right? There's got to be a sense of the awesome presence of God to keep us. But when people are just dialing and typing and pornography full-blown, I'm like, something is wrong. The issue is not the pornography. The issue is their relationship with God. Pornography is just a symptom. The greed, the anger, out outbursts of anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. I can't forgive this person. Something is wrong. And this is a battle. You know, pornography is not, it's not a battle for many, many of us. But there are other battles of pride and greed and, and just having a bad attitude that the, if we don't have the fear of the Lord. Right? Look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I, and I, that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Praise God. Amen? 
You don't have to, you don't, don't, don't try to put the fear of God in you. No, nah, but you can pray. I said, Lord, and I've been praying all week. I said, Lord, I want to really grow more in the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is my joy, really. I mean, it's just something that as I see how great he is, and that's why I, that's why I like to watch and keep up with the news, because then I interpret. We're gonna, we'll talk about that. I interpret all that in light of the greatness and power and majesty of God. And so there's so many stories that I laugh because, and it may be tragic. I'm not laughing at what happened. I'm laughing at the, at the joy of knowing a God who's mighty, great, and he's active in the world. And he's humbling, and he's exalting, and and we're like, uh, Lord, do a work of my God is at work powerfully, magnificently. There's a symphony of glory all around us, but our eyes, we can't see. You know, I mean, you hear tragedies. I mean, there was a young man who threw himself in the water. So sad, right? He was in a cruise ship. And as soon as he threw himself, they have a video. You see the fin of the, of the shark. And so God so awesome ate the young man apart. They didn't bite him. commanded the shark? God. If you don't see it that way, you will never, you'll never rejoice in the greatness of God. Nothing happens. God, have mercy. Have mercy, God, on me. Have mercy on my soul. Right? Am I better than that young man? No. But God is at work. Proverbs 16, 6, and we'll just read over. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquities atone for. How does God atone for iniquity? How does he do it? By steadfast love and faithfulness. Who's steadfast, who's steadfast love? Yours? Who's faithfulness? His faithfulness. By the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, of Jesus Christ, iniquity, right, is atoned for. That you can't do that. You cannot do that work. It's been atoned for. Praise God. Amen? By the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in Christ, every sin, every iniquity, past present, and future, settled, gone. That's it. For all eternity. Amen? Is that good news? A little bit? Just a little bit of good news? But how do you turn away from evil? How do you turn away from evil? <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I, I thought he atoned for it. What? what I thought he, I mean, he did it already, right? He, he, already, he already paid my iniquity. He did. But if you want to turn away from evil, you turn away from evil. 
What do you need? You need to fear the Lord. The only way to turn away from evil, this is not one of three options, by the way. It's like, well, one option is to fear the Lord. The other one is singing, and the other one is fasting. No, <laughs> that's only one way to turn away from evil, and that way is by the, that's it. There's no other way to turn away from evil. There's no other way. I mean, so many people struggle, and, they, and they're reading books. <laughs> like, let me read some books, and let me do <laughs> The only way to turn away from evil, at the end of the day, the only to truly turn away, you may have a reprieve, but that's not turning away, right? You may have a moment where, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good for two months, I'm good for two months. But, but the only way to truly turn away from it, from evil, is by the fear of the Lord. In light, even in light of the, the atonement that Jesus Christ has done, right? That atonement is complete, praise God. But for us to walk in his victory, for us to apply his atonement, we need the fear. Fear of the Lord. And so settle that in your mind. If you're struggling, and all of us are going to struggle with bad habits, bad attitudes, bad behaviors. Remember, please remember, by the fear of the Lord, I can turn away from evil. Not necessarily, again, it's all included, but I'm just making a distinction. How much I pray, how much I fast, how much I confess. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, Lord, I, I take away my sins, take away my sins, take away my sins, 500 times a sheet of paper. All that, you know, you wouldn't do that? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, right? <laughs> but the, the one thing that is going to change the game, change is the fear of the Lord. And I suspect that so many people struggle to turn away from evil because of the lack of the fear of the Lord. So I want to encourage you today. I really do want to encourage you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We, we're talking about the church, but, but what, is, what good is it of trying to build something if, if we're not establishing something that's so, so important, that is the fear of the Lord, so that we can begin to ask God to do the things that he wants to do. Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand. I want to give you an opportunity. You know, I know this message, um, it's not a common message. We don't talk about the fear of the Lord as much. Um, but do you have a dread of the awesome presence of God? That's a question that only you can answer and God can answer. None of us can really answer that question for you. I know for me, I want my dread of the awesome presence of God to increase. I want it to increase. For my, I want to walk with that sense of the greatness of God all the time. I don't. I get too busy. My mind and this and my, but I don't know, but I, I, I want to walk. My desire is to, that the Lord may ever be before me, and but that he will be ever before as a mighty king, not just as a Santa Claus, not just somebody I go to to pray. Lord, help me with this, help me with this. But, to, but as a God, an awesome God, amen? That's I, you know, you know, we can all have whatever you want relationship with God, but I want to have a relationship with God that that, it, that 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 really magnifies the greatness of God and to live like that all the time. That's my desire. And I want to I want to give you an opportunity, and perhaps some of you are struggling with some besetting sin, and you might be wondering why can't I overcome this thing? Why can't I just put this away? I really want, to. and praise God. First of all, I want you to 
be so grateful that if you have a besetting sin in your life and you want it to be gone, what a miracle that is. Trillions of people have besetting sin and they don't, have, they don't care. <laughs> but praise God that the saint says, I, I don't want to live like this. I don't, this is horrific. I don't, want, I don't want to do this. And I want to encourage you that if you have that, God is at work. Amen? However, having said that, now there's some education. God wants to teach you in the fear of the Lord, to give you that fear of the Lord so that you can turn away from evil, turning away from things that you know are not profitable. And all of us sin in all kinds of ways, but I'm specifically dealing now with things that you know that you should not be doing, and you're saying, Lord, why, why do I keep doing that? And I want to give you an opportunity to come, and let's, we're going to sing a song and give you an opportunity to just ask God to, to just have his way. We're going to sing, um, I Surrender All. Let's just sing, I surrender all, and, and um, let's turn to the Lord for a few minutes. And if somebody comes up, I'm going to encourage you saints out there to come and pray for those. I mean, I, I love to see the ministry of the body encouraging one another as we pray for each other. And so... Hallelujah to the Lamb. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray. Holy Spirit, come and, and now do a work, do a work of encouragement. We need to hear your voice, oh God. We, we want to know you more, Jesus. We want to walk in the fear of the Lord and, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe there's one here, maybe there's two that are struggling. Oh God, may you baptize them in the fear of the Lord. and You strengthen, oh God, their convictions by the greatness of God. So help us, Jesus, to surrender all of our other fears and things that are keeping us from really, um, really looking, Lord, beholding you in your greatness. Hallelujah.